If you have bills and debt piling up, a personal loan through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track if eligible. Visit netcredit.com today. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. Hello and welcome to the Big Bark Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the canine world. Each week, we talk to different professionals working in the canine industry across Ireland, from pet shop owners to groomers, behavior specialists and vets. We will be discussing hot topics with our puppy panel, reviewing the best products, food and treats, the best places to take your dog on a day out and the most dog-friendly venues in Ireland. We'll also be chatting with dog owners to find out more about the bonds that make a dog man's best friend. Your host for this podcast is Dara Burke, a dog lover with a passion for canine psychology and behaviour. Dara's own dogs, Bruno and Millie, will also join in from time to time and will be sure to offer their own big bark along the way. Time to bring on your host and start the show. Big welcome to episode two of the Big Bark, the best doggy podcast in Ireland, bringing you the biggest news from the canine world. I'm joined today by my two awesome canine co-hosts, my best friends in life, Bruno, my awesome blood raw, and Millie, my beautiful, wonderful golden lab. I want to say a big thanks to everyone who listened in on the podcast last week, and a special thanks to everyone for the wonderful feedback. So, quickly, I want to chat about what's happened in the last week. Well, myself and these two rogues next to me, we had lots of lots of walkies. I paid a visit to the Limerick Animal Welfare Sanctuary, and I got to meet lots of doggies, both actually at the sanctuary looking for a new home, and at a dog show that was held there for their open day. So, this brings me into the main topic of today's show. Today we're going to be looking at one of the biggest issues in Ireland right now, which is animal welfare issues. So, while I was out at the sanctuary, I got to chat to Marion, to Jolyn and to Chris, who are the backbone of the charity and have done so much for animal welfare over the years. I'm going to be playing those with you, those tips with you. And that's coming up in the show file. I'll also be chatting to Marie from Arabets in Tiptown about the most common animal welfare issues that as a vet she sees. So, first of all though, we have our feature business for today. And we're going to be chatting with Kelly from Purple Wolves in Dublin. Kelly is a dog walker and a dog minder. And given the amount of animal welfare cases that have gone on in dog mining facilities, I wanted to get someone in with an insight into that particular part of the industry. So we're going to have a chat with Kelly about what it's like to be a dog walker, what she loves about dogs, chat a small bit about her own dog. And of course, we'll be chatting about the animal welfare, given that it's a hot topic at today's show. So look... Without further delay, I'm going to head off. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm going to play some frisbee with the dogs. 
This is about a 20 minute interview with Kelly, so I'm going to let you listen to the uh, interview with Kelly for the next 20 minutes or so, and I'll be right back to you after that. Okay, so basically, Purple Wolf have been up and running since June. Um, a first idea came from uh, leaving actually the DSPCA, um, where I originally started. And so then I kind of went into a lot of research onto it. Um, and obviously the help from my friends that um, have originally started up their own business. And basically, see, my business is dog walking and petting. The reason why I started it up was because dealing with dogs, the hard to handle dogs, a lot of dog walkers aren't experiencing this scenarios and they're not experiencing a lot of reactive dogs and my business, the reason why I wanted to set it up was to help the owners that feel like they can't ask for help for when they're away from their dogs from long periods of time basically and I wanted to be able to provide a service where and dog owners can feel like they can come to me uh, with the hard to handle dogs and I can help them out and walk them and they'll come home with to a nice relaxed dog rather than coming home to the likes of a rip of couch or a pee on the floor, the separation anxiety dogs or the dogs that will bark all day and they're just very stressed out. Whereas with my service by me bringing them out and walking them, and getting their little attention and enrichment while they're out on walks, this can their whole behaviour down, and when their owners come back, they're all relaxed, basically. The pet sitting on the other hand is like just giving owners the opportunity to have the dogs in in their own controlled environment where they're happy and consent. Their owners' uh, smells are all around the area. I can just take them out, walk them, bring them home. They're uh, they're still in their own environment, so they're not going to be stressed out. Basically, it's a lot more better than a boarding facility because, obviously, in a boarding facility, they're getting smells of all other animals, basically, by me bringing them, uh, going to their home, I am taking that scenario out, bring stress levels down. They only have to get used to me, and they're already in an environment where they're happy and cheerful and know that that's where they're going to wait until the owner comes home. Oh, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, so, like, it does sound like a really fun job. You get to work with dogs on a daily basis. Sounds like a dream job nearly. So, yeah. what has been, since you set up, what's been the highlight so far for you? Just getting to know the owners and uh, their dogs and their individual needs and obviously getting to know their personalities and really, really uh, maximizing their experience on a, on a walk. A lot of enrichment as well. So it's just, it's just amazing to see progress as well in dogs that would pull you on a walk that um, are actually real content and after a while being with you, they, they start to improve themselves as well. And obviously because my service is one-to-one, then they're going to show improvements to their owners. Obviously, they're, it's going to change a lot of the owners' ideas. Like, they're going to show a lot of improvements to their owners, and initially then their owners are going to try a walk with their dogs when they're more calmer in the afternoon. Or So it's just amazing to be able to go to a job uh, walk the dogs, get a load of confidence from the owners that the improvements are after seeing from just being walked by myself in the mornings or in the afternoons when they're 
busy. So yeah, no, it's just it's just an amazing experience and it's great and it, it brings my anxiety levels down as well because they're out in nature as well. So it's just all in all a win-win um, for both individuals. That's really cool. And yeah. so far, have, have there been any real, like, I suppose it's challenges, like real challenging dogs that you've had to deal with? Like, you often see, like, films like Maddie and Me and, like, he was called the worst <laughs> dog ever. Have you ever had any dogs like that that you've had to deal with? Um, well, I've more had to deal with that in the likes of, um, not in my business now, but um, when I, with the experience I've gained, I've had to deal with the challenging dogs um, and basically the ones that would pull you along to get to that one tree or dogs that will lunge and bark at other dogs um, or even the dogs that nervous dogs that would be very timid first and you have to build up a relationship with them and get them used to you. I've dealt with a lot of dogs like that but in my own business no not so far. I've been very lucky. But um, I have dealt with a lot of restricted breeds. I don't know if you've seen on the a lot of pictures of the dogs that I have been uh, dealing with lately is restricted breeds, um, and they're the most trusted dogs ever that I've came across. And yeah, so well, not really on my own business front, but a lot of the experience came from the DSPCA shelter and volunteering, and then also from dealing with. Um, dogs that have already been adopted and then are uh, in the doggy daycare and the pet uh, and the pet boarding facilities and all that um, up there. I was up there for quite a while and I had to deal from dogs that had tie aggression to dogs that were uh, resource guarders and it, it definitely gave me a lot of experience in their body language and how to uh, deal with them in a um, you know, a reactive way or a nervous dog, and it's just it's just amazing to have that experience behind me that I can give owners peace of mind when I do come across the owners in, in my line of work now. <laughs> that's great. And I just want to go back yeah. there for a second. Yeah, no, that's no problem. You, you mentioned uh, the restricted breeds. Now, a lot of what we touched on in episode one of the podcast yeah. was on the restricted breeds list. And yeah. uh, in particular, the public consultation that is ongoing at the moment uh, from July until the end, uh, I think it's mid-September, where yeah. they're looking to actually change the um, Control of Dogs Act. And yeah. uh, there's, there's a couple of different options that they're looking at that we touched on last week. And to- I spoke with a dog trainer last week, Tony McKenna, who owns the and Baker Dog Treats here in Limerick. And he said his view was that there literally can't be, and I'd agree with him, there can't be a such thing as a restricted breed. Like, it's... the behaviour isn't determined by the birds yes exactly what I agree with 100% Um, I've the little jack russells that be more um, reactive and a lot more that would probably need uh, muzzles you know that kind of way I think personally I think every dog um, whether restricted breed or not I think they should just wipe that out um, that every dog initially has muzzle training because I think it will help them in the long run when they become injured. Okay. Protoed and prodded, you know, and they're not going to be very uncomfortable with like that. So initially, I think 
um, maybe owners should look into just even helping your dog out, muzzle training them so they're not going to be terrified going to the vet and having to get a muzzle on, whereas you're going to get them used to it beforehand. And when it goes on, they're not going to be um, stressed out in that uh, type of situation as well. Um, but, yeah. Okay. And just just touch on that there. Uh, you mentioned, and I agree with you, every dog should have some sort of muzzle yeah. training. Now, because, one, of yeah. the, one of the reforms that they're discussing in this uh, review of the Control of the Dogs Act, which I mentioned last week, was mm. the a notion and its proposal that, okay, what if we muzzle all dogs in public places? Now, that's something now that I would be completely against, like, in enforcing yeah. the muzzling. Like, I have two uh, Labradors at home. I have a Golden Labrador and I have a Black Labrador across a Bloodhound. They're the most gentle yeah. dogs. And I yeah. couldn't imagine putting a muzzle on a Labrador or, for example, a King Charles or a beautiful, gentle, noble dog like that. No, definitely not. I don't think any dog should be forced to uh, minimise their time in smelling, licking. All their natural instincts are actually uh, controlled by a muzzle. They don't get to enjoy their walks more, whereas when they're loose and friendly, it's, they're a lot more calmer. I do think that reactive dogs, fair, uh, like fair enough, you don't know what your dog's going to react to. You, you need to learn their triggers, so maybe a muzzle would help you feel a lot more confident in situations like that. But I don't think every dog should have one. I think they should be trained for situations that can arise, that they need to have one just in case of something happening. But I don't think they should ever, ever be forced to wear a muzzle. Okay, absolutely. Like, you just minimise yeah. the absolutely experience, you. you know? Yeah, I completely agree um, with you on that. Now, yeah. There's another topic I do want to touch uh, on. Okay. I, I see from Pablo Wolf that you're a canine first responder. Tell me a bit more about like what it's like to be a canine first responder. Well, initially I was a bit nervous of getting it because obviously um, you didn't know what kind of situation is going to arise. But um, for this business, I didn't want to go into it without being able to um, give owners a peace of mind, and that was the first thing I thought about was getting a canine first aid responder uh, do that course. Um, it gave me a lot more confidence as a dog owner myself, and being able to uh, know different situations and what not to do, because a lot of stuff that you would think of before you done this course, you do this course, is not what you should be doing at all. Um, and then it really opened your eyes to, like, different situations, assess the, uh, assess the scene, alert the vet, what you can get bystanders to do while you're focusing on the dog uh, in hand, or even a cat, like, you can uh, actually bring it on to deal with cats as well. Um, the one thing that was uh, they're very conscious on in the course is actually barriers, create barriers for yourself between the dog and yourself, which I didn't think of. I would have went straight into there and helped the dog or, you know, mouth to mouth, all that kind of stuff. And Running a business comes with pressure. Remote workforces, HR compliance, attaining top talent. You start to feel boxed in. Fortunately, there's Insperity. They put 30-plus years of HR service and technology to work, offering my employees competitive benefit options while lightening my HR load. Instead of obstacles... I'm surrounded by people empowered to be their best. With Inspirity, 
Nothing seems impossible. Inspirity, HR that makes a difference. With bills to pay and debt piling up, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. Personal loans through NetCredit can provide funding up to $10,000 to help you get back on track financially if eligible. Our secure application process allows you to customize the terms that work for you and your budget. So check your eligibility today without affecting your credit score and help get your finances back on track. NetCredit, a more personal, personal loan. All NetCredit loans and lines of credit are offered by a member of the NetCredit family of companies or one of our lending partners. Visit netcredit.com slash partners for more information. And I learned so much on what not to do and the fact that you can't give mouth to mouth. It goes through the nose, just so you know. Um, but yeah, like, uh, it just really opened up my mind. Um, it definitely gave me confidence. You learn so much, like, um, how to stop bleeding and when to uh, administrate CPR and check the airways. You wouldn't even think before going into CPR, a dog's not breathing. To check the airways, but this will give you all of that broad, um, like indications what to do, and then it touches on bee stings as well, because you wouldn't know what to do with a bee sting. And um, so yeah, no, it's it's definitely a course that I would highly recommend to anyone that's dealing with dogs. It could keep you calm in the situation, especially with your own dogs, because you come an emotional wreck, and then you're like, oh, what do I do? But it really makes you. Bring yourself down, assess the situation, airways, uh, breathing, circulation, your three S's, everything is in it, and you can't go wrong. There's, there's, it's better than doing nothing in a situation. That's what they teach you. To be oh, honest, yeah. for, for me, like my own dogs, they're like my kids. And yeah. would, would you find would you find now like uh, when you're out walking other people's dogs, when you're petting other people's dogs, do you find yourself getting really attached to them? Oh yeah, 100%. There, you kind of start thinking of your own dog, like you treat, like you're gonna treat them like how you treat your own dog. And obviously, my my dog's my little baby. For all you know, nothing comes uh, forced compared to him. So when I deal with clients' dogs, nothing comes forced. But then, when I'm out with them, I'll yeah. give them 100% affection, 100% all my time. I'll even, I always put down my phone as well. The only time you'll see me is at the end of a walk. (laughs) (laughs) And taking the pictures for the owners, and that's it. But yeah, no, emotion is huge. And that, that, um, canine first aid responder course really taught me to, yes, there's a lot of attachment there, but really taught you to step back. And when you're calm, the dog's gonna be calm. People that are around you, even the dog owners that are dealing with that situation are going to be kind. They're going to give them a job to do when you're dealing with their dog. Little stuff like that. That's fantastic. It really helps. Yeah. And just a topic I want to touch on you with, and Mm -hmm. I mentioned to you this before the call, a lot has Mm -hmm. come to light lately uh, regarding different dogs that have unfortunately died in these different uh, pet services, kennels, and owners won't know who fight on time. And it, in one case, there was a case where an owner wasn't notified, I believe, until a couple of days later. And the way that the dog was given back to him was completely disrespectful. Working in the industry, what are your thoughts on this? Well, my thoughts are, um, well, with my with my industry, um, I have a lot of similar TNCs um, with, like the likes of um, DSPCA, a lot of my TLCs are around the same. But in in those type of situations, 
always, always notify the owner. That's my big one, is always notify the owner. Don't let it get too far where you're giving a dog back not the same condition where they left them. A lot of things that um, I've even seen in facilities um, that I've been experienced with um, shouldn't go, uh, shouldn't be happening. I think there's a lot of regulations that need to come into place, a lot of checks that need to be done, um, and just put a proper regulation on that you're, you know that that place is certified, that place is going to be watched and regulated to the point where it's like our health service, the same principle. You're not going to uh, put a dog into a situation where they're going to be left in scenarios where they're left yeah. in their own field. Same with us. We're not going to be the same. So why yeah. do it to a dog? When you consider that we won't put uh, children into a crash that's not regulated yeah. or it's not up to standard. And like for yeah. many people who don't have kids, their dogs or cats or like their kids, so why yeah. put your, like, I do believe there should be more checks on. Oh, and yeah. Right now, wh- exactly what regulation is in place for facilities like this? As far as I know, there's, um, like, a health check they do. Um, so basically, a board, on the health board, they come in and they do a little check on them. But a lot of the stuff is, like, appointment only. So you're not going to yeah. see a lot of the stuff that would happen on a regular day's basis. Yeah. Which I think needs to happen. I think you see a pop-in service where you uh, see exactly everything and a lot more restrictions on what is allowed and what's not allowed and where dogs sleep and what cleaning products you use, like little stuff like that. Because some dogs react to cleaning products that are being used. I just think there's a lot of people setting up uh, those types of businesses without uh, any research or any uh, like anything that they should need to actually set up. I don't think it should be as easy to set up a business like that. I think there needs to be a lot more um, regulations to set it up as well instead of just going into, oh, I'm going to set up one and I'm going to have a doggy daycare out my back and you know, I'm seeing a lot of yeah. stuff like that as well, and I think there needs to be regulated as well. I've spent so much time in a doggy daycare to learn their body language off by heart, and like, they're mixing reactive dogs. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. to be honest, any situation can turn sideways in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. If if someone yeah. is reading the dog's communication wrong, if they're reading, the, yeah. for example, the Cameron signals wrong, the like dogs will give you plenty of signals. Yeah. The dog's very last resort is to actually bite. Like, yeah. as, even as Tony mentioned last week, a dog doesn't want mm-hmm. to bite. A dog just wants no. to be loved. It, it wants to be shown, told what to do. It wants to just be given affection. It, it doesn't want to actually resort to that. No, definitely not. And I think a lot of people need to learn body language when on the dog as well. I think a huge amount of dog bites that do happen is from kids disturbing a sleeping dog or... Yeah. Um, ignoring the growl and then um, actually punishing them for it, which shouldn't happen ever. Um, that's one of the big things when you're dealing with even a growl with play and people miscommunicate that and then like, oh, that's going to turn out to this way. And But dogs are vocal. You need to learn it off by heart. You need to learn how vocal they are when they play, what's the difference uh, in the change of vocals, and then also their body language to match it. 
I think there needs to be a huge amount of improvement in dog canine industry and a lot of the regulations that need to be in place when being a dog owner. I don't think it's just like, oh, yeah, I'll own a dog as a grant. <laughs> you yeah, know? Very, yeah, that's very true. And, yeah. okay, so finally, just what I want to touch on, I want to roll back there a bit to Papa Wolf. Uh, you've been up and running since June. Uh, yeah. Where do you want to see the business go up to? Well, eventually, me and my friends have been talking about a five-year plan. So she wants to do the training and the boarding side of things. Um, and I eventually want to do my own daycare and um, and training at the end of things, got to do with body language and workshops and how to manage dogs. And that will be the end goal is to own my own daycare. And then uh, we'd vice versa um, go back and forth with the board. And, oh, well, we have this board. And you, you know, it's a big plan that we're putting in place in the next couple of years. And... Obviously, building up my clientele now will initially have me set up for when I do open up a place for a doggy daycare in a controlled environment with not so many dogs in the one area either. <laughs> so, a little stuff like that, but yeah. And if anyone wants to, anyone around the Dublin region wants to get in touch with you and to find out more about your your services, how will how do they get in touch with you? Um, I have a business website. Um, you can Google my business um, and just uh, look up Purple Wolves in the Dublin area or Tala area um, or ring me on 0857727992 and I'd be happy to look after your wolves. That's fine. Um, yeah. All right, Kelly. Look, we're going to leave it at that for today. Uh, thank you ever so much for joining us on the Big Bear today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Dara, for having me on. And um, I will keep listening. You have me hooked now. Okay, right. I'm glad you're hooked, uh, Kelly. I'm quite wrecked from the frisbee. Okay, so did you enjoy that? Great. I'm going to take the silence as the enjoyment. So a big thanks to Kelly for joining us today and having a good chat with us about Purple Wolves. So for someone so young, I find it great that Kelly's knowledge of dogs is outstanding. And I hope to have Kelly back on the show again. And just going back to one of the things that Kelly chatted about there, I was going to chat a good bit today about calming signals and canine communication methods. But I'm going to leave that for a future episode, which will focus completely on communication uh, canine communication, calming signals, because there is so much to it that it can actually take up its own show. So I hope to have Kelly back on again to chat about those. And moving right on now to our main topic. So last Sunday, 11th of August, I paid a visit to the Limerick Animal Welfare Open Day. It was a really wonderful day and I got to meet so many amazing dogs looking for adoption. And I got to meet lots more dogs, got to rub some dogs, which I just love doing. If you know me, you know I'm the kind of person who will literally walk up to a dog on the street and be like, hi, 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 nearly as excited as the dog is. So many dogs at the dog show, they had previously been adopted from Limerick Animal Welfare and had come back for a visit. Now... In a small bit, I'll be chatting to Marion Fitzgibbon, the chairperson, a long-time committee member at Chris Samwise. I'll be chatting to both of them to hear the Limerick Animal Welfare story. 
But first up, I got to chat to Geraldine Gunning, who is the voice chairperson of Limerick Welfare. And Geraldine tells us all about her love for the sanctuary. So, I'm a bit of a coffee addict, so I'm going to run and get another coffee. And I'll be right back to you after this. Enjoy. Alright, so I'm joined here now by Geraldine from Limerick Animal Welfare. Geraldine, will you tell me what Limerick Animal Welfare means to you? Oh, Limerick Animal Welfare means a lot to me. We call it law for short. I'm a vice chairperson. We're all volunteers and many years ago we saw the, the need for some place for these animals that were unwanted, neglected, abused, that the public could come and see these animals and, you know, we've a better chance to rehome them up to them. We were holding them in our own homes paying for private kennels and you know way back we'd no mobile phones or anything to contact each other we were just by word of mouth now we've social media and everything and the dream was to have an actual sanctuary where the public can come and see these beautiful dogs and cats and you know we rehome them from here so it was badly needed you know we have the pound situation where they do the best to rehome them but you need someplace like Limerick Animal Welfare we have a no kill policy we depend a lot on the public for our finances and um, you know we do the best we can and it's working and we have the farmyard here we've horses rabbits goats and hens and we also have our cattery of course big problem with the cats at this time kitten season we're just full up with kittens and um, well, and like I remember I was out at Woody's Open Days many years ago probably around 2012 2013 I was out here I was one out from Ocean's business at the time and I remember I brought a crew out that time with me to like have a look at the dogs this is I'd say probably 2012 2013 at the time but I remember back then you're still only building like all the new buildings up there you've come such yeah. a long way since and we have we haven't in 2007 we opened the first building down here phase one we called it and we wanted to increase it of course so we built the second phase there now we've a big mortgage from the bank to build it and the only reason we got that mortgage was because we have charity shops because you know we look for money off the banks before but of course we had no steady income so now we have a steady income from our charity shops which are very important to us so the bank gave us a loan so that helped us to build that building and then there's always things you know we've new um We've new horse stables just across the way there that we had to put up, you know. The horse situation is very bad in Limerick as well and we have to have stables from. And there's always something we need a puppy unit very badly. But bit by bit we're getting there and we're adding to it all the time. And, you know, day one back in 2007 we didn't think all this would happen. But it is happening and, you know, we're, we're dedicated to it and at it for years. And we get great joy out of it seeing the dogs and animals going off to their new homes. And that way is our payback, you know, it's wonderful. Brilliant. And what's the plans for the future? How, what's, what's next for you? What are you, what are you hoping to do next? Well, next, it's always something to be done with the buildings, you know. As I said, a puppy unit we need. We need an isolation unit for the kittens because the kitten, kitten situation is so bad. You know, there's no protection there for the cats. There is no law there for cats. There is nothing. So all the cats just continuously having kittens, and it's a big problem. Um, our future plans, just more, we'd love more land to be able to take in more horses but I don't know will that ever happen it's hard to get land and then we can't afford it our puppy owners we hope will be up by next year a vet clinic we're very anxious to open up but again it's like an expensive thing to do our vet bills are what's crippling us 170 other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated 
like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days guaranteed with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed. And right now you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 thousand we spent in our vet bills last year. So far this year, up to the sixth of June, it was seventy-three thousand. So it's it's our biggest bill, of course. Uh, it costs us sixty thousand a month. People think it's a year. It's sixty thousand a month. Now that's everything: vet bills, running costs. Uh, we have a minimum staff here, which are badly paid, minimum wage most. Of, but we have to have staff because you know there has to be someone here to let out the dogs in the morning and to be here now. We depend a lot on volunteers, so we've only a skeleton staff. We would love to have more staff, but we can't afford it, but maybe down the road. And if you have one message for our listeners, uh, this going out on Spotify, so if you have one uh, message for our listeners, what would it be? Uh, to support us would be number one, and you can support us in a lot of ways. Our charity shops, we've two in Parnell Street and one in Willem Street. You get lots of goodies in them, you know, and you don't have to spend a lot. Um, support us by donating to us, of course come and volunteer with us volunteer in our shops or volunteer out here in the sanctuary now we're a bit out from Limerick so unless you're driving you know it's difficult to come here and volunteer we appeal to local people to come and volunteer and anyone else that can but our shops we're always looking for volunteers we look for volunteers to do flag days church gate collections things like that you can help all them ways outside of you know giving money of course we love to get money to pay the bills as well well gentlemen thanks a lot for joining me a big thanks again to Jolene Gunning there, Vice Chairperson of Limerick Animal Welfare, for telling her story. It really is a place that you fall in love with when you go out to visit there. You fall in love with the dogs out there too. I would encourage anybody to go out, pay a visit to the sanctuary, volunteer for a few hours, help clean out the kennels. If you're a cat person, go up to the cattery and just help out with the kennels above there. Jen and I were lucky enough to get a tour there last uh, December when we took a trip out there to deliver all the wonderful goods donated at my workplace in the city. Ended up taking two big boxes of Christmas presents out there for all the dogs and cats in the sanctuary and we got a full tour which was really awesome. You know, I wanted to adopt all the dogs out there. I wanted to even adopt the kittens out there. I'm not a big cat person, but... I just wanted to adopt them all. So we're going to hear more from the directors of law shortly. 
Right now, let's hear from Mairead from Ararats in Tiptown. Mairead is going to tell us a bit about the practice, and then she's going to fill us in on all the animal welfare issues that she as a vet has experienced. Once again, enjoy, and I'm going to be right back after this. We're a small animal clinic in Tiberi Town, and I'm very specialised in just small animals, so we're not a mixed practice, and there's two vets. Um, the clinic itself has been there for about 10 years. Um, I've taken over the clinic for the last five years, so I suppose I've been there for five years. That's how long. Um, so, Marion, that day in the Merkham Welfare, was really trying to get across to people that greyhounds aren't acknowledged as dogs in this country. And they don't come under that category, they come under the category of agricultural animals. So, they don't have the same um, legal status as a dog does in Ireland. Hopefully, with the with the, all the awareness that's been raised about them now in the last trial in the media, that you know there'll be big changes in Ireland and in that front now. And um, we do a lot of rehoming of greyhounds to Italy, which is fantastic. But what I'd really love to see is Irish people being encouraged to have greyhounds as pets. I I think Irish people just don't have the knowledge and they just they don't know um, how good a pet a greyhound can be. So. It'd be nice to see the money being put in towards a media campaign, you know, to promote a greyhound as a pet in Ireland. Like, I don't know if you watch Triple Immigrant Welfare, the cat section, they have, they have, they have just so many cats there that they're trying to rehome. Um, I see it myself in the clinic. We have people coming in with litters of kittens. Um, we have people ringing up and asking us to take in these kittens and try and rehome them. We also have people even ringing up asking us to put down litters of kittens. But this is like, this is like trying to put your thumb on top of a hose that's running, you know. Unless that hose, unless that water is stopped at the tap, and they're going to keep being produced. And cats can produce up to three or four litters in a year. And baby kittens can have, and have kittens again at four months old. So, Unless those cats are getting neutered, um, we're never going to get on top of this problem. Um, I don't think there's any official boarding kennel regulations. Is there a license list? I think um, anybody can decide to open up a boarding kennel. Um, it's like there's regulations there, but there's nobody going out and um, following up on them. And um, there's nobody, there's nobody going out policing the whole thing. You know, if you have a stray dog brought into you and there's no microchip in the dog. Like, there's nobody there policing the fact that that dog has no microchip and actually handing out those fines. I think that's where the problem is. Like, you know, that those regulations are there and um, written down, but there's nobody policing them. Yeah, In terms of board I don't think there's any actual official regulations. Or there's no... Like, if I open a vet clinic in the morning, the veterinary council of Ireland will come down and they will inspect the whole place and they will have certain standards that I have to meet to be allowed to have a vet clinic open. I'm not so sure if that's the case of boarding kennels. I don't think that there's official, you know, inspections of them and that. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if anyone has a complaint, if they can actually lodge it with an official board for boarding kennels. And um, we see these um, new kind of breed dogs, um, you know, are pulled across dogs um, coming in and a lot of them have skin issues. So either they have allergies or other than that, then if they're not being groomed regularly, they get very massive and, you know, it's very hard for coat care. And that's what we see a lot of. Um, my advice would be to try and get your pet onto a sort of a diet that you can afford or that you can find. Um, I think that a lot of dogs and cats are on very poor diets. And I feel it's the same in human medicine. If you're eating good food and a good diet, and um, there'll be a lot less problems with like skin and 
years and even digestive problems, you know, all this stems from a good diet. I'm, it's very I'm hard. Sure. Like, I, I don't see anything wrong with raw feeding. I, all I say to people that talk about it is you have to source um, somebody that you can trust with it because raw feeding can potentially lead to, like, um, life-threatening conditions, you know, if there are bacteria, if there are types of bacteria or contamination in that meat. So you do need to get your raw food from a really, really good source. Okay, and a big thanks to Mariah there for coming on the show and sharing her experiences as a vet in relation to animal welfare issues and all that. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Something needs to change regarding animal welfare laws in Ireland. We need stricter penalties, we need harsher punishment, and to be honest, we just need a general change in the law to give more protection and more rights to animals, because right now, animals, and dogs in particular, cats, family pets, they're basically seen as no more than property. They have very few rights, and it's disgraceful in this day and age so I'm really hoping that going forward that people like Marie there who would be a big animal welfare advocate people like the folks out at Limerick Animal Welfare that their campaigning will eventually be enough to get the laws changed okay so next up gonna keep moving the show forward and we have the second of three interviews next from Limerick Animal Welfare so let's hear from Chris Samuels, long-time volunteer and committee member at the Sanctuary. Chris is going to tell us about the history of the Sanctuary and about her involvement in the day-to-day running of the Sanctuary in Kilfinnan. We're going to hear a bit more about the issues surrounding Greyhound Welfare too, which is a massive issue in recent months, ever since RTE aired that documentary a few months back. So stick around, enjoy the clip here from uh, Chris and I'll be right back once again in a few. I really am a coffee addict so I'm off to get another cup of coffee. Okay. Uh, well, as you know, we've been going since about 2007 when we first opened, and we've grown enormously since then. We've got about 200 animals here at the moment, including the dogs and the cats, a few chickens, rabbits, lots of horses and a lot of goats. So that's how it soon, you know, easily adds up to about 200. Uh, we've got about 14 paid staff on part-time and a lot of people who come and volunteer obviously which we really couldn't manage without especially on a day like this open day uh, you know we need as many volunteers to help as we possibly can um, I suppose the biggest problem at the moment is again lack of space I mean this is a much bigger enterprise than it used to be but we're always full um, we couldn't manage any more horses at the moment we wouldn't have enough land and all the kennels are fit to burst. And about a couple of weeks ago, I haven't counted since, but we actually had a hundred kittens here. All that had been, you know, they were all orphans. None of them came in with their mother. So some of them came in as just tiny kittens, probably one, two weeks old, and the staff had to bottle feed them day and night, every two hours, until they were, you know, probably yeah. bigger. So the cat situation is completely out of hand because people don't neuter their cats. And you feel that's down to a lack of regulation as well? Is that lots of... Is it down to a lack of regulation? Uh, 
Well, there aren't really any regulations yeah. for cats, there are more, more for dogs, but again, not for neutering. But cats are very much, uh, you know, do their own thing, sort of thing. And uh, people do not, you know, we can't seem to get it through to people that the cat can have kittens when it's, you know, perhaps five, six months old. And it could have two or sometimes even three litters in a year. So the cat situation is a big, big problem. Big problem with feral cats as well. Um, so, but we've never had as many kittens as we had this year. A lot of them are reserved, but I don't think there's, a, there's an adult cat in the cattery at the oh, moment. Wow. It's all these kittens. Uh, we were, I was out there actually about, I'd say it was about a month ago I was. Yeah. And um, we came out to walk the dogs myself and my yeah. and, and we went up to the cattery as well. And we were actually very surprised at how many kittens there were yes, out there. Yeah. And you seem to have a lot of dogs here as well. You, yes, have, we've you have a lot of greyhounds, I've noticed. Yes. Um, well, what happens with the greyhounds is that I suppose here Irish people don't consider greyhounds as pets because they link them to coursing and racing. So obviously they can't all be good racers, just like people. You know, some of them fall and break their legs or just don't win. Now, I'm not for a moment saying that all greyhound owners discard them if that happens, but sadly a lot of them do. Yeah. And they end up in rescues like ours until we try and find a home. Now, we're beginning to home a few more greyhounds and lurchers, but still most of them go abroad to Italy. And you feel um, a lot of that is down to the recent RTE documentary that you're starting to be home with? Well, I think there's more of an interest uh, in, in greyhounds. Now they realise, you know, what a huge amount of money goes into the greyhound sure. industry, uh, which you know might be better spent going to sort of different rescues. Yeah, and it's sort of opened people's eyes about how some of them are treated. I think. I suppose even for me, growing up, my father would have always had greyhounds. Yeah. I mean, when they got old, they he retired them. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like they were kept as pets. Like yes, we had two yeah. two old greyhounds, yes. and they lived till they were about ten or twelve. Yeah. And they're yeah. soft, gentle dogs. Yeah. So. I mean, my sister lives in England. He's got two rescue greyhounds and they spend most of the time on, on the city. <laughs> I think people think because they're racers or courses that they would have to do an enormous amount of exercise. Yeah. And really the most laid back part of dogs. Really you know, here when we come first thing in the morning um, and they all go out in a run for a little bit and it's all the little ones who are jumping and yapping yeah. and yelling. But the greyhounds, as soon as they've had a bit of exercise, they're back on, on their bed. Yeah, so they do make good pets, and I think people are gradually beginning to realise that. But still, most of them go go to Italy. Okay, the great. next well, the like next. They're, they're going somewhere. Yes, there seems to be a great culture yeah. in Italy and Switzerland. Yes, yeah, but certainly Italy. There's this group called Pet Levriere. That might not be how you pronounce it in Italian, but um, they've got this this rescue where they rescue greyhounds from here and from Spain, where they're very cruel to, to greyhounds. Uh, there's no greyhound racing or anything in in Italy, and we send photos of ours that need homes, and they find homes for them in Italy. Right. So there's a van that's coming in September, a van comes about four or five times a year and takes about 20 back wow. to Milan, and the new owners are there waiting to meet the van in Milan with all the paraphernalia that you could ask for a greyhound they've got. And, and they go to proper homes and live as pets in, in, in the home and inside. Yeah. And like you've come a long way outside mm. here. Uh, from I remember years ago, one of the days I were out here, and the building over 
phase two uh, yeah, was saying it, yeah. it was only still being built yes yeah, yeah. yeah well we started off just with that one building there which is the rehoming block that's what we started off with I mean before that when in Limerick and Willow first started in the 19 about 1982 it was just a group of people feeding stray dogs in Limerick City and then we um, started looking after them in their own homes I looked after all the cats in my home and people looked after dogs depending on how much room they got and then we started renting kennel space and boarding kennels and then somebody gave us an interest-free loan and with that we bought this 25 acres and then the first phase cost us about 600,000 which was done fundraising and obviously for phase two the new building with the big mortgage on that okay and if you had one message for all listeners regards donations regards volunteering what would it be well obviously we could always do with volunteers we could always do with donations and people could either raise some kind of fundraising event perhaps in the place their workplace or with just their friends or they could make a donation online we do get a lot of money with donations online through bankers orders and things like that or making a donation we have a lot of um requests when we get a dog that comes in that's badly injured and costs a huge amount of veterinary bills we put that on facebook and people donate to those specific dogs i suppose social media really in the last few years particularly with these online donations yes yeah we get a lot of those they've done it's done a lot yes yeah it's definitely going to open up the avenues for you exactly exactly okay that's great thanks so much chris thanks for joining me Alright, thanks to Chris Samways once again for joining me. A pleasure to chat with Chris last Sunday. And, you know, the Greyhound welfare issue is one that is really appalling in Ireland. And, to be honest, as someone who would have grown up with Greyhounds around me when I was a child, I can say that they do make great family pets. So, I recommend that if you're paying a visit to law, or wherever your local animal sanctuary is, when you have a look at all the beautiful dogs, when you're considering a dog for adoption, don't walk by the greyhounds. A lot of people in Ireland would. And there is a problem in Ireland where greyhounds are treated more as agricultural produce, which we'll hear from Marion shortly, uh, her thoughts on this. And without further delay, I want to move on to that final interview. It was my absolute pleasure to chat with the chairperson of Limerick Animal Welfare, Marion Fitzgibbon, who has been fighting for animal rights for over 30 years. Marion is a beacon of hope for these animals, not just in Limerick, but right across Ireland. And, you know, I can't speak highly enough of the work that she and her team out at the Limerick Animal Welfare Sanctuary uh, do on a daily basis. Look, I'll let you listen to the clip. I'll be right back to wrap up after this and close out the show. But let's hear from Marion right now. 
Well, the first thing, of course, I'd like to say is that we're really campaigning the greyhounds with the dogs because at the moment they're agricultural projects and that means for regulations and legislation and everything, they're starting, you know, really with a very poor outlook because they're not even recognised as being a dog. So the first thing we want to say is we want that change, we want classification changed, uh, we want them to be classified as dogs. So, I mean, people say, when is a dog not a dog? A dog's not a dog when it's a greyhound. So collie dogs should be farm animals then as well. But collies are dogs. So it's just an interesting question for people to think about. And we'd like people to focus on that maybe when they're thinking about the whole problem and start with that easy petition to the greyhound industry. Just recognise them as dogs. It seems an easy thing to do. So uh, it should be possible. So as I say, we're hoping when we gather again together this time next year, for our open day that maybe we can call the greyhound a dog, you know? And then, of course, we're talking about the numbers that are uh, killed every year and unwanted, and we do think the 6,000 is a very conservative number that was um, focused on recently in the RTA programme, and um, greyhounds, you know, uh, are finish their lives usually three, two and a half, three, four. They're too slow to run. But we're not talking, and the 6,000 men by the program in Marchini, they're saying 6,000 dogs uh, from the time they get their horse tattoo until they get their racing card at 12 months. So there's a huge tranche of greyhounds that are mentioned already. So we have the injured greyhounds that are injured on the track later on. We have all the dogs that are retired when they're just too slow before they're three and a half, four years old. And we have the puppies, the colour, the first puppies as well, that never get a tattoo. So the numbers are really much greater than 6,000. And when the greyhound industry, the IGB, when they estimate how many litter, the, the litters, how many greyhound pups are in each litter, they take the number of six. Now, the dogs in the street know that a greyhound normally has eight to 11 pups. So the, the figures that they use for estimating the number of dogs uh, born, that's flawed as well, because they're taking their litter size a six greyhound puppies per litter. So, I mean, the numbers are totally too conservative and it's even a bigger scandal and a bigger waste of life than anybody is aware of, you know. So, we ask them to remember the greyhounds again and try and think about a greyhound. If you're thinking of getting a pet, come to the sanctuary and just look at our greyhounds, look at the lurchers and uh, just, you know, make room in your mind and your heart for thinking about giving one of them a home because you'll never regret it. They're beautiful dogs. And, uh, and Chris mentioned to me a while ago that in they go off to Italy. Absolutely, yeah. They're actually going to do an extra transport now. They were on to me yesterday. They want to come in September, October, November, three months running because there's such a demand for greyhounds now in Milan and all around where we home them in Pet Library in Italy because the Italians are responding to the program and they want to see what can they do, please, can they take more dogs, they want to save more greyhounds. So um, it's very expensive to prepare them for transport. They all have to get a rabies shot, pet passport to transport. The Italians pay for the transport, but we have to prepare them. So we're looking for donations for the greyhounds too, of course, to enable us to save more of them. But, um, yeah, the whole of Europe is responding. UK, France, UK, yeah, America, I believe, I do 
be here to talk with the USA. But, you know, we want to start home. They're our dogs. We want to start home. And they're here in Ireland. Yeah. Like you saw them at the dog show today, yeah. walking around beautiful greyhounds, mixing with all the other dogs. No problem. And I, my father would have greyhounds years ago. And yeah. Like, he would have, when they were retired, when they were finished, they were retired. Yeah, they're just they're dogs. Yeah. Like, I remember having so many greyhounds years ago. And even from puppies up to when they were like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. The most gentle yeah, very gentle dog, very little aggression on them really. Yeah. And of course you've got to, some of them aren't cat friendly, but then a lot of our Jack Russells aren't cat friendly or our yeah. colleagues aren't cat friendly. But you know, uh, a lot of them may have to say unfortunately, especially the coursing dogs have been blooded and yeah. if they're blooded and taught to kill small animals, you know, we yeah. but when they come in to Limerick Animal Welfare, we assess the dogs, we have a big cattery here, they're exposed to all animals. Yeah. So we know before we hold them. This is a dog friendly, you can but if you can't leave it near cats with tether, you know whatever. So it's tailor made to suit the home basically. And if there's any problem with the dog, they bring it right back to us, you know, they'll never they say, Oh I took a dog so it's not suitable, I have to keep it now. They adopt the dog and they can bring it back any time to any problem, you know. So um, there's that support system is there for them. And ideally, what do you want to see with the regulation? What way do you want to see? Sir? I want to see with our license back, stopped, gone. Okay. Uh, we have now started bags racing. Nobody's talking about it every week in Limerick now you have one night bags racing and one night greyhound IGB racing. Bags racing is Bookie's afternoon greyhound service. This is you might have heard about it. They're now starting to race greyhounds on empty tracks at half eight in the morning. I think they're all in Cork and uh, the IGB are renting the tracks to the bookies and it's their new greyhound product. Nobody's talking about it while they're talking about welfare. They're not talking about this. And uh, the bookies take over the track for the night. There's no veterinary inspection of the dogs coming in. There's no veterinary inspection before they run. They're putting kennels an hour or so, an hour and a half before the race. So they come into the track maybe at 7 a.m. in the morning or early in the afternoon, 5 o'clock for the evening meet. And that it's they're just running for the bookies up. It's beamed up. It's called bags. It's SIS is the new name for it, simulcast. So it's been beamed and people are booking in England a lot. It's bookies racing and it's a bookies product. And no animal welfare really regulation about it. And we have one dog there recently, it's run 37 races, running every week. And have dogs run, and these are very often lower grade dogs. So we have dogs running down there, probably injured, or there's no veterinary inspection coming in. It's a totally, and every dog, even if you come last, gets an appearance fee. So six dogs go out to run. And this, at the moment, the last three dogs get 30 euro each. The first might get 100, 200. Small money, small bets, and every. So if you want to bring in six dogs and put them racing that night, even if they come last, you'll have 6.30s or 6.20. You can't, you can't lose. You can bring a slow dog in, a dog that possibly shouldn't be running, it should be retired, and it'll go out there and run as long as it earns 20 or 30 euros for you. And if you have more than one, you're in the money. 
And uh, it's really an awful way to look at Greyhound. But I mean, these are the IGB that say they have the welfare of the Greyhound in their heart and they're reformed. And um, we started out a couple of years ago, we had two bags tracks, two bookies tracks. Now we have seven. And every year we're getting more licensed tracks and more bookies taken over. So you have two in Cork now, you have one in Yall, you have one in Corrigan, we have one in Limerick, the Tully, uh, I think Waterford, Kilkenny, and someone in the Midlands, and such on the increase all the time. And this is known as bags racing in the UK, bookies after Greyhound service. And you'd always hear them saying years ago, I mean, I started talking about Greyhound in 1994, but if I go to the track, you'd hear them saying, oh, that bitch is no good, that dog is no good. We'd sell her to the bags. That meant she was no good, she was injured, she was losing here. So she'd be sold to the bags in England. Now we don't have to sell them to the bags in England because we have the bags in Ireland. And it's the lowest type of racing and the most, you know, destitute and devoid of animal welfare. Absolutely. And it's totally for money. So I'd like Mr. Dollard to answer a few questions about it. The bags racing, they didn't have a mention. He's silent. No one is even asking him about it. Well, probably too controversial, you know, but... Well, I think maybe it's one thing a lot of time in this country that the government are afraid of control, so they don't want to actually face up to it. No, because the government are funding the whole thing. Yeah. would see that they stop the price. Did you see that article in the uh, examiner that the, the manager, the man who's in charge of uh, Bernardo's, that journalist did a very good article, and he did it just totally from the point of view of the economics. And he said, the greyhound industry would cease to exist without the grants. They can't call them to an industry because they're not viable. Yeah. Uh, just running themselves cost two million administration. So they wouldn't even be able to administrate themselves if they're yeah. on the money they're taking in. All right. And again, I... Massive thanks to Marion Fitzgibbon, the chairperson of Limerick Animal Welfare, for joining us and talking about the welfare issues that we see, not just with greyhounds, not just with dogs, but with cats, with horses, with donkeys, with all animals in Ireland in general. Look, until the law changes in this country, unfortunately, not much is going to be done. We need to be looking at changing the laws surrounding greyhound welfare dog welfare, animal welfare in general. So this is something that there has to be a huge focus on and I would love to see our government do more on this to shut down puppy farms. But the problem is that they, they just won't. I'd love to see them take more of an interest in the grey home welfare situation but again, our government just has their head buried in the sand about these issues. And unfortunately, I suppose in Ireland, when you have only two main political parties, no matter who gets into power, they're both the same as each other. And none of these politicians want to do anything about animal welfare. So, okay. There you have it, folks. That's our episode for this week. I really hope you've enjoyed the show. And coming up on episode 3, we're focusing completely on the bonds that make a dog man's best friend. We'll be bringing on a couple of guests who will be talking about the bonds that they share with their own dogs, their experiences that they've had with their dogs, and just their love for dogs in general, and why they think dogs love us. We'll be introducing our first puppy panel next week. 
we'll be meeting a dog who has met a ton of celebrities in the UK. And when I say meeting a dog, I mean really meeting the dog's owner. We're going to show some fun games into the mix and we'll get the chance to tell you a bit more about Bruno and Millie as well. All that and more coming up in episode 3. Well look, thank you for listening and as always, have a wonderful Barking Mad week. Chat to you next time. And from me, from Bruno and Millie, take care. Bye bye. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word ABOVE to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text ABOVE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word ABOVE to 323232. Text ABOVE to 323232.